The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Well, welcome to episode 17 of season 5 of The Outspoken Bible. They are Jen Robertson and Neil Glover, and I'm Fiona Stewart. Hello. 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 This is becoming ridiculous. I'm just trying to make it different each time. But uh, nice to see I you. quite like that one. I know it was exactly. less nerve wracking. Oh, interesting. Okay, for yeah. you as the as the participant, right? Okay, I'll I'll bear that in mind for next time. Uh, now we've got no correspondence, um, so I thought I would just kind of generally ask you how you're getting on, what you're working on, and so on. But before I do that, just a little bit of an advert. A reminder about the Bibles for Bairns project. So we've been talking about that. We've trailed that over the last couple of episodes. Uh, you have, if you've been a, you know, following the story with uh, keen interest, you'll notice that we uh, opened the fundraising appeal and the prayer appeal about that. We've now opened bookings for the system itself. Now, Jen, I think we want to clarify something because you've had one or two people, you know, kind of saying, "I've got a nine-year-old son. Can he qualify?" <laughs> Maybe not quite as old as that, but a few people wanting to register a baby who was born in 22 and 20, or 2021, which would be absolutely delightful. But this is a five-year project for the baby themselves. So when they're registered, born in 2023, they then receive a gift on their first, second, third and fourth and fifth birthdays. So if we had babies from various years, it yes. would be administrative administratively impossible and also a much bigger financial challenge. So we're launching it this year. It's for babies born in 2023. Next year, it will be for babies born in 2024. So we can follow them through to their fifth birthday. So if you're sharing with people in toddlers groups or people in your community who have babies, make sure you're sharing it with people whose babies have been born this year. So, so can I just run the FAQ section of this? Which there so, is a section on the website. Of course, okay. Well, frequently asked question, I would imagine in my head, what if my baby is bo- is due on the thirty first of December, but actually is born on the first of January? What do I do? You mean the first of January, twenty twenty four? Yes. Well, then your baby baby would wait, and you could register them in um, the in the next next year at this time when we launch it again for 2024 babies and you mustn't register before your baby is born ah okay well, so, that's actually the root of the question yeah. isn't it so so yes. you need to put the, the child's date of birth on yes. you just provoked an emergency cesarean <laughs> just so you can get no a free an elective bible. cesarean <laughs> just so you can get a free bible I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the classic thing, isn't it? When you're sitting on the cusp of these things, you have questions about it. So basically, and I think it's not just about a free Bible. It's for babies and their families to receive lots of nice things to help them with that Bible at, through the at stages. Yes, yeah, so yeah. that's that's why it does and it does happen. So just to reiterate, babies born in 2023 can register now, or somebody can register for them because obviously yes. they're not going to be capable of that. Uh, and then anybody born in 2024, families can register next year for that. And if your baby was born in 2022 or 1972, say, for example, you could just buy them a Bible. Yes, if you're able to. Or buy your friend a Bible. Buy your baby's friend a Bible. Yes. If they don't want to buy their own Bible. Yes. And if people if people do want to know about, you know, the Bible to choose or whatever, there's there's information about all of that. Uh, yes. You can find which Bible it would be. Very good. Very good. Well, any further questions, don't ask me. Ask Jen. Uh, you can email her. <laughs> or you can email the... the uh, the address that goes with the yeah, and, yeah. scheme. Please do email me. I love hearing from people. Good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So any questions, maybe just about, if genuinely, if you did have a nine-year-old and you wanted to buy them a Bible, absolutely, you would be open to the conversation about what kind of yes. Bible to get them. I, I find in Jen's description of these that like a good employee at a well-known electronics store, she finds a way to get to yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because as we all know, Neil, every little helps. <laughs> <laughs> very good very good so Jen you are we obviously... do shop slogan bingo for the rest yeah, of the podcast in, like cricket be amazing um, now Jen obviously you've been working away on uh, Bibles for Bairns that's a huge thing but yeah. what else have you got on the go at the moment well I've been writing some Christmas resources and I'll tell you about that later on excellent very yes. good because Christmas is a coming yeah I know it's unpopular to talk about it but if you're trying to plan important you've got to get ready right. now you've got to get ready okay yeah. neil what are you up to have you been writing anything <laughs> i just feel like you're <laughs> setting me up <laughs> always because yeah so I'm, I'm all disappointed because i thought i will submit the manuscript which turned out to be something like 200 pages just before i did the podcast and then just as i was coming on air i discovered my bibliography was all over the shop so i'm a oh, bit dear. disappointed it's a common problem isn't it 
Yeah. I often wake up and think my bibliography is all over the shop. <laughs> That's good news, though, Neil. That sounds as though know, you're getting fun. towards seeing a bit of light at the end of the. Yeah, yeah. The the person I sent it to, to the editor, said, "I will await your second version, but you must be very happy to have pressed send." I don't think it's very just good. me that's very happy. I think it's the people I live with. Yes, I'm sure that's probably right. People you do podcasts with, etc. Um, right. Well, that's good that there are lots of things going on. I've I seem to be running about doing crazy things all over the place, poetry and all the rest of it. Uh, plus trying to yeah. Get attacked, do you want to tell us the subject of your poetry? Oh, I've got well, I've got multiple things on the go. That's the thing. I'm doing something tomorrow for Healthlink 360, which is a charity based in at Carberry Tower. Oh yeah. Um, and that's. In, for their anniversary service that they've got tomorrow. Um, so I've got a poem ready for that. And I've also been filming myself this morning. Um, yeah, I've been filming myself doing this poem I've, I've done about the menopause, which I did for a, an event a few weeks ago and thought, I'm going to film this. And mm-hmm. then suddenly there's a bit of an impetus because I've realised that this is Menopause Awareness Week month. So yep. if you're going to do a, a viral video, now's your time. Are, are you the Scottish church's macher? The kind oh, of laureate. Neil, I would love that. I would actually, I mean, I think we've said this before. I would really like to be the macker. Yeah. I think it's yeah. quite hard to become the macker, though. You need to know the right people. But maybe if my menopause point goes viral. <laughs> That'd be great if that's what made you become the wouldn't macker. It? It? How, long, how long a job is it? How, how, uh, how often? Uh, I think it's every two years or three years, I think. Oh, right. So it's relatively frequent. Yeah, it's not like a poet laureate, yet, which no, changes I think all the time. Yes. Yeah, so no, it hardly ever changes. Yeah, the poet laureate, I think, used to be for life. I'm not sure if it is anymore because I think somebody retired, yeah. didn't they? Simon um, Armitage retired, I think, didn't he? Who appoints the Michael? First minister with a committee, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that that was quite knowledgeable, wasn't it? That was almost as though I'd gone to investigate. <laughs> and who is the current Michael? That would be the next question. Oh, it is. Um, Oh, I've, I've forgotten her name. I feel listeners may need some information about what we're talking about. That's why I'm asking these questions. Oh, yes. Well, the Macker is the kind of official national poet, isn't it? <laughs> uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember her name. Um, it used to be Jackie Kay, but then it, it's now... This is just a poem of... This is just a podcast of people not knowing things. Neil's looking it up. I'll fill the space while Neil looks it up on Tinternet. The current Macker is... It's a woman... But Macker's just an area of, la- of like moorland, doesn't it, in Scotland? That's interesting name. Oh, no, doesn't it mean maker? Is that not what it? Yes, it's Macker with a K, I think. As opposed oh, to it's not Macker, as in the as in as in the Macker, the Macker of Galloway. Somebody, you need yeah. somebody who's looked it up beforehand. To... Kathleen <laughs> Jamie. Kathleen Jamie. I mean, so I, I now wish I hadn't asked these questions. Well, go and go and look her up. She's she's a great poet and she does great work. And I think the whole <laughs> notion of appointing somebody to be a macker is an excellent thing. And if anybody wants to give me the job, I'm here. Do you okay. guess who the first macker was? Oh uh, yes, it was. Oh yes, it was um, Edwin Gunn. Edwin. Edwin Gunn, <laughs> formerly Morgan, minister of Queens Park Baptist Church. Was it not Edwin Morgan? Edwin Morgan, <laughs> the man Morgan. who I hate to say this, whose poems put me off poetry for twenty oh, years. Oh wow. gosh. Wasn't doing well. I job learned then. them at school and didn't enjoy them. There you go. Well, I'm glad I now know it's spelled by K. That's a mm. new thing I've learned to do. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good. Well, before we uh, take up any more time with this uh, rambling, it's that's time- what happens when there's no letters. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. Get your correspondence in, and then you have to put up with this dribble. It's time for Glover's off now. Working backwards from last time, we yeah. have had Baruch, yeah. Abimelech, Abimelech, Amos. Isaiah, yeah. David's three friends, Hagar, Obed, Edom, Palomi Almoni, Palomi Almoni, sorry, Jethro's daughter, Rahab, Joshua, Balaam, Aaron, Jethro, and Bilha. That's where we've been. Yep. Where are we going? Neil, who's your other? Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. It's Gad, and it's inspired by the fact that in church about a Sunday and a half ago, we had Drew Kennedy came up. He's one of our local farmers. And Drew, we're surrounded by sheep everywhere. It's sheep, 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 except for Drew. He's got the cattle. And he, I think he bred a limousine with something else a few, like 30 years ago. And everybody kind of thought, oh, what are you doing? And he's got this brilliant kind of herd now of cows that he's, he's really built up. So the reason I've chosen 
Gad is for a couple of reasons. One is he, he just kind of disappears as a person. Like, I can't find much that he did, but his tribe, they were into their cows. We discover that in the Book of Numbers. Um, and that's why they stayed on the other side of the Jordan. You know that thing where some of the, was it, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh don't cross over, but they do. They go and help everybody liberate the mm. land. Then they come back over the Jordan. That was him. And it was because they loved coos so much that they loved their cows. And I, I suppose I like him because he just gets on with it. He builds up the cows. And then in the Book of Revelation, in chapter 7, you know that bit where you get the 144,000, well, 12,000 Gadites have made it in just the same as the Judahites and the Ashers and the, the Rubens and the Manasses and the Levies and the Levi's and the Issachars. So, you know, cow farming is one way to heaven. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think, can, can I be quite clear that Christ is the way, but you can cow yes. farm you can be a Christ-following cow farmer. Yes, yes. Very good, very good. There's, I'm sure there's. I'm just trying to think of the kind of puns that are around that with dairy and so on. But um, very good, Neil. And uh, I, I think we're still looking for a connection. Yes. So it's the last three. Get to the connection. Abimelech, Baruch, as you called him a minute ago, and Gad. I mean Abimelech or Abimelech. Abimelech. No, you said Abimelech a minute ago. I did. I did. Yeah. What did you call Baruch? Yeah, I said Baruch, but that's just because that's how Jews say Baruch Atah, I mean, it's the same word, okay. blessed. Okay, Baruch, yeah. very good. Lovely. All right, well, we left Paul and Barnabas back in Antioch. Um, after having had uh, this journey around the Mediterranean, they've been sharing the gospel, they've been establishing churches, and uh, we begin this week in Antioch with the arrival of some men who purport to have been sent by James and the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we're reading Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through to 16, verse 5. So just over one chapter. And the link is, of course, as ever in the show notes. So if you want to read it before listening any further, now's your moment to do that. I, I was finding, as we approached this chapter today, um, it's it, for me, it, was, it felt quite hard to read it without knowing the outcome. It's like reading a murder mystery, but you know who's done it. <laughs> you know, and I think maybe because of that, to, to me as a, I guess, a Gentile Christian, it, it, it just seems obvious that the outcome's going to be what it is. But the stakes are really high here, aren't they? Hmm. Yeah, and the nameless nature of these people intrigues me as well. Maybe that's because we know what the outcome as well. Uh-huh. You know, if, if, if the outcome had been, no, actually, we do all need to get circumcised, circumcised maybe they would have been the people being named. Yes. Yeah, so it's written in that way as well, you know, like, um, this is a big significant moment, but we haven't even recorded who they are because we know it wasn't it, it wasn't the direction that the church took Yes. in that time. I also and thought as well, it seemed quite, um, you know, it's, the words are quite harsh, aren't they? Sharp dispute and debate. Mm. But it but it seems to be part of the, the life of the church at the time. They're also talking about what's been going on and who's becoming Christians and all these things. But this is part of their life as a church. And I feel, uh -huh. in my experience of church, we often we don't want sharp disp dispute and debate. We, we avoid that at all costs. So there is a sense of this, it's, it matters mm -hmm. that these things are brought up. Mm -hmm. I, I like the fact that it matters, matters, because it's a, it is about what is the nature of the faith, Mm -hmm. it, it's I do you know we do always get caught into side things, but it, mm. it it matters. I was going to ask you both of you what if you could have a chat with one of these people who's on their journey down from Jerusalem to Antioch, Antioch. And <laughs> I don't know you're staying in an inn with them or something like that, and you ask them, oh, what are you up to? And they eventually tell you what they're doing, and you say to them, why why is that so important? What do you think they would have said? Well, Why are you going I, all this I way? I mean, I, I would have a question a, a, a question before that, though, about who sent you and why have you come? Because because they've not been sent. Hmm. Okay. That's so, what James says later on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're not from us. Okay, but if you've jumped down that, okay. I can tell I'm, I'm not terribly interested in that question. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting question, that somebody takes it upon themselves to go and do something yeah, but also yeah. to say they've been sent. I think that's really interesting. What are you playing? Okay, well, so well, there, it's a lie, a... isn't it? But, okay, uh, yeah. but can I get to my question? Please do, carry on. <laughs> Which is why, okay, I agree. I get that that's important. But th there's kind of false motives going on. But wh what's motivating them? Why, is why does this matter to them so much? 
Sorry, because I've lost track of what your question was. Your question is... So this guy's saying, it's really important. There's a bunch of people down here. They're not circumcised. We're going to go down and tell them that they've got to get circumcised according to the law of Moses. And you say, well, why does that matter to you so much? Why is it bothering you so much? What would they say? Oh, so you're asking us what we think they would say? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Be- because it, it's the way it's always been. It's, it's back to Peter on the on the roof, isn't it? Mm. And the shock he experienced when he, when God rocks up and tells him that everything is different from how it's always been. And we've got to go a different way, a hugely significant different way. These these people are still in that place. Mm-hmm. It's not just because I don't. Well, I would I would hope it wasn't just because they wanted to keep it for themselves, they wanted to keep Jesus for themselves, but they just couldn't let go of hun- hundreds and thousands of years of being. This is the way it is. It's very it's very hard for them, isn't it, to let go? Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I think some of it might be motivated by a fear of losing the truth, losing hold mm. of the truth. Mm. And, and, and you know, and Jesus, Jesus wasn't always clear cut, and sometimes in how he talked about things. So he talked about you know not abolishing the law, yeah, but fulfilling the law. And so that that's a hard concept, I think, to understand potentially. It's yeah, easy so for us because we look back on two thousand years and we understand. Yeah. It's out of a loyalty to Moses as well. Yeah. So there's yeah there's loyalty there's there's fear of, I mean I mean I wonder if I, I don't know I don't know about you two but I I sometimes find myself in circumstances these days where I think I feel like I'm the guardian of the mm. way things need to be done. Yeah. <laughs> so silly mm. example if you know if you're asked to be a trustee of something, mm-hmm. I quite often now find myself the one who's saying um, we, we do know that we need to keep a conflict of interest register and we do know that we need to, do, do, you know so suddenly yeah. when you are the grown up in the room, and in that situation legally you have a responsibility to help people understand this is how we do things now i'm not saying it's an equivalent situation because it's not but i wonder if some of the motivation comes from from that sense of wait we need to yeah you need to be brought in rather than we need to spill out and so but it's also i suppose it's an indication of confusion of how we keep we keep things that matter and and we see that in church today all the time don't we that if you've if you've not actually if you don't fully understand who Jesus is or what he's done, or you haven't had that encounter, which we've talked a lot about with Jesus, then you can hold on to the process and the way things are done because you mm-hmm. want things to stay the same, but that's different yeah. from wanting actually to do what matters for Jesus. Like, for, like, I'm thinking of something like, oh, we need to bow our heads and fold mm-hmm. our hands to pray. Well, well, actually, it's not there in the Bible. It's not there. Uh-huh. But what really matters is we need to spend time with our Father, God, talking to him and listening to him. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So the process sometimes become the things that people argue over. Uh-huh. Because we haven't got the heart of what really matters. We should be arguing uh-huh. over we need to pray more, not how we pray. And also, But also how we pray in as much as... Coming to our father, but coming to our father with a sense of the hallowed yeah, situation, yeah. Mm-hmm. which so is what the head, head bowing originally is, really is the case, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's not the thing. It's not the thing. It's the thing it points to. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. So there's a couple of things as well as you're talking that spring to mind. One is the important role of history. We're going to come to a chap later on called uh, J. Ruka, who's a Maori theologian, and what he says is that the church today has spiritual amnesia. And and he went and did a bit of looking up. There's two forms of amnesia, apparently. There's, oh, I can't remember the first one, but there's another one called episodic. That's ret- slightly ironic. <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> ironic. I know. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> if you have retrograde amnesia, it's to do with major episodes in your past. And apparently, if you cannot remember the major episodes in your past as a human being, it's very difficult to shape the future. Mm. So there's there's a link. If you understand what happened before, then you have a, almost a flexibility mm. to be able to go to the future and reshape it. Oh, that makes and sense. You can, yeah. yeah, and you can see that Paul does this with the whole circumcision question because he doesn't say the history doesn't matter, but he gets right into the history. Yeah, and he'll later on discover, of course, that the promise comes to Abraham before Abraham got circumcised, and for Paul, yeah. that's highly significant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's something yeah. about knowing the history really well enables you then to live with a kind of a flexibility as to what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that I think 
I picked up on Jen when you were talking. I think you said, if you know the thing, I think you were talking about prayer, you were saying with prayer, if you know the reason why it's important, then you become less obsessed about the outward forms yeah. that obsess yeah, to yeah, yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book on community, um, so Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had run these communities before the Second World War in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. He stresses for absolutely ages what seems like an abstract theological point, which is, I do not relate to you directly. I relate to you through Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is important because if we have a human connection, say we get on with each other or we share, I don't know, common interests, or we just even think we're of good moral character, the minute one of those things goes, then community becomes much mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you are united in Christ, then all these things can come and go, can a moral kind of moral worth, how good you are, or whether you belong to this particular tribe or so on, all of that suddenly matters less. And I, I think when we have community, Bonhoeffer would have said, what really matters is that you're in Christ. Because once you've got that one grounded, everything else becomes secondary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's I get that point, but how are you connecting it to this? Because Paul, well, it was really what Jen was saying. So I'm connecting it to this via Jen, because Jen was saying, if you're connected in a true relationship to Christ, then the external things matter less. I think that's what okay. Jen said anyway. Yeah, I think so. No, no yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that. I, I'm just quite curious about it in relation to this chapter. I think it's quite interesting to think about the relationship takes on a higher quality, doesn't it? Yes. When, it, when yeah. it's through Christ. And so therefore these things do matter. So it's not just, oh, we're going to go up to Antioch just because we feel like it yeah, yeah, and have a chat with the guys there because we think this. This is about, well, actually, what does the church in Jerusalem say? What does it mean when we come together in Christ to discern? Maybe I'm sounding quite Baptistic here. We're discerning the will of Christ together. So you're saying that Christ gives us a way of talking. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just, I'm just elevating the conversation, I think think mm-hmm. so this is not, just not some guys and women making it up as they go along this is oh, this has I a see. seriousness to it so that when when you have a difficult issue what you're trying to do is rather than i don't know come up with some kind of pragmatic compromise uh-huh. what you're trying to do is discern the will of christ in that issue yes yeah, so, or, or, mm-hmm. or even just i think having that in your mind that we we mm. we are our conversation and our, our relationship is mitigated through our identity in Christ. Yeah. That, that that elevates the way I think about the person I'm having an argument with or trying mm. to find a solution with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost brings, that... It's almost the chord of three, isn't it? It almost brings yeah, the yeah. third um, yeah. person into the discussion. And then there's also the place of authority and leadership. So they, they don't just have this discussion and sort it out themselves. They, they go to those in leadership yes. at the time. They bring it to the right court, if you yes. want to use current speak. They... they I mean, we don't actually know what happens to these people, do we, who came down from Judea. They just kind of disappear and they're not mentioned again. But the but yeah. the, the folk Antioch go to Jerusalem and they talk yeah. to the apostles and elders. They seek an external perspective to yes. sort out the problem. Which also speaks to me about unity, actually, because, you know, if they'd mm-hmm. sort of said, oh, grumble, grumble, these guys in Jerusalem have sent these people, it, it, it creates two different, it could potentially have created two yeah. different perspectives. But no, there's a kind of sense of right. This is the issue. Let's let's sort this out mm-hmm. because this is and important yeah. that we sort this out in, in, in unity. And you, your first description there, Fiona, is exactly what we've seen for generations in the church of churches splitting again and again. You know, because they don't agree, and there's another church down the road, and then they split, and there's another church down the road. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying how how that could have been prevented, but I wonder if some of some of this kind of modelling of of going. And trying to sort it out at a different level. Yeah. yeah. Would it made a difference? Yeah. I, I used to think that the, the disruption that happened in 1843, so this was a split within Presbyterianism, Church of Scotland, and it was to do with who chose the minister. Was it the laird or was it the congregation? And when it became clear that for a majority within the established church at that time, it would be the laird, a whole bunch of people left, formed the Free Church of Scotland, which is related but not quite the same as the current Free Church of Scotland. And I always used to think these people were heroes because they, they gave up their livelihood, they they donated hugely um, to build a new church, and in many senses they are. I mean, the, the building... Some of them lived in fields and preached. I've got yeah, one yeah. about this, Neil. Did you know that? No. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully... 
We'll it's called Callotype. Anyway, it's a whole thing about the, about them walking out of the, the church on George Street and walking down to Cannon Mills. And there's a very famous painting that was done that hangs in the assembly hall of the Free Church in, at the top of the mound. And, or the buildings of the, the Free Church mm-hmm. of the Mound. And it was done by David O'Hill, David Octavius Hill, who was a very famous port, uh, landscape artist and, and painter. But they used uh, early photography to take images of the people who were there. And then he kind of assembled this painting. Oh, right. From, yeah, it's the whole thing. It's a whole thing. So, yeah. Kind of so, Sorry, I could slightly distract Well, just that the, the, these people they, were but, heroes but, but, but Some of the stories, they're the real stories of yeah. hardship, actually, of people who chose, mm. no, actually, I'm giving up the, the man, I'm giving yeah. up the church, we'll yeah. preach in fields, we'll live in caves, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, but in his book on mission in contemporary Scotland, Liam Fraser, my colleague, who's very kind of learned, he argues that the reason that Scotland has succumbed to secularism to a greater degree than it might have done is because of that church split. And I, it really shook me when he said that. Um, but I've begun to think he might have had a point mm-hmm. that um, for a start, the established church pretty much came round to the same viewpoint as the free church. They did unite in 1929, and their majority did. Um, so in essence, they could have got through this and and Liam says the the, the impact on on mission today in Scotland is is really significant. Mm. I mean, there's a really practical example because um, you have all these churches which are built right next door to each other because people built mm. competitively. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to be careful because I know that there's many of our listeners are in the free church, and I know this is a hallowed memory, and I still have a lot of sympathy with that. Just like you've said, you know, all these people that made sacrifices, mm-hmm. but at the same time. I am coming more to the view that I wonder what would have happened if they stayed united, kept working it through. I mean, I feel I feel it's a longer conversation, isn't it? But because mm. there is a conversation about, but it was nonetheless wrong that secular landlord, landlords yeah, yeah. controlled yeah. the church. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a whole argument previous to it. Anyway, yes, really interesting. Um, we'll put a note. We can put a link to that book Your play. in the show notes. Oh yeah, well, mission in contemporary Scotland. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking I must have been quite so self-centered about that. If anybody wants to m- to book my play, though, it's still available. Um, <laughs> I'll come and do to it. To book your, your play? Well, you can book me to come and do it. Oh right, so one woman show. Oh, I was about to audition for a part. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, it's it's a one woman show. <laughs> I know. I now realise. <laughs> I was going to say I could give it back. Anyway, right, very good. Uh, yes, interesting. But of course, could you write uh, so, a play for oh, the three of us, please? <laughs> How do you know I'm not already doing it? Uh, <laughs> so, so, so there's, that's an interesting discussion, isn't it, about the role of kind of unity and truth yeah. and, and when you do things. Yeah. But, but this issue in particular is is not just like every other issue, is it? This is really fundamental mm-hmm. to what church is. Yeah. And so, Paul and Barnabas are sent by um, the Antiochian church. Mm-hmm. back to Jerusalem and, and this Council of Jerusalem um, then occurs. Can we talk about James? You, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Jen. No, no, I'm, I was, you want to talk about James. I was I was just thinking, here's Peter again, that we said in the last podcast that that was his kind of final fling and we were saying goodbye to him. But he gets up and it get the impression after much discussion that he, in wisdom, I like to think he, he waits and he listens and then he speaks. And his words are just... So beautiful, so pertinent, right to the heart of it. I love the bit. Um, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, it was too hard for us. Why are we going to give it to them as well? And he he just cuts through to the heart of of what the problem is. He's saying it's hugely significant. You know, if you do this, you're going to be putting a burden back. on We've been set free from this and we're putting the burden back on them. Yeah, yeah. And talks about the grace, doesn't he? Yeah, we believe. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's quite, for the church at that point, for him to say, we believe. Mm. Yeah. Through our grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Yeah. You know, not everybody's come to that point, have they? Uh-huh. Really? uh-huh. Yeah. But as you say, it's a massive point, because if this had gone the other way, effectively the church says you have to become like us in order to be saved. And mm-hmm. Peter, as, as you're saying, is... We are saved through grace, not through conformity to some cultural yes. code. Yes. Even even a cultural code that was a Moses's code. I mean, if any code was going to be the one that yes. you were going to go with, it would be that one. Even that one's not going to be the one that gets yes. you. Yes. 
and it, and it does lead you to some of Paul's writing later on, doesn't it? That that idea of that of being saved by grace and and mm. not conforming anymore to that yeah. Yeah. Um, previous way of being, because because the, the law is serves to to bring you to the cross, really, doesn't it? This, the, the the law itself is there to bring you to grace. Now, yeah, and how often we forget that. In, so two examples. One is I've just been reading the history of Tom Allen in North Kelvin Side in Glasgow. He went there in 1948 and he was distraught. He did a parish survey. He discovered that only 100 houses in his parish had a connection with the church. And he reached out and he brought them in. And the membership grew by 800, 800 new members in about four years. Huge. But they all left again. And they mm. all left because of the attitude of the existing members of the church who said you had to become like us. Mm. And, and there was a class thing going on because mm -hmm. the existing members were many of them gathered and they were generally a bit more middle class, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the folk coming in were working class. And the, the cultural difference just kept folk away and 800 people were lost and he was distraught by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, the, the happy thing for Alan, uh, and he's a bit of a hero, um, is that he then went to um, St. George's Tron and became the minister and he bought the, the house, which is now the Tom Allen Centre, and they used that as a gateway. And they said later on that the church had a permanently open door to all the people of the, of the parish. Mm. But it was grounded in the strong bond between minister and congregation. So they're rooted in Christ and then they're able to welcome everybody in. And mm. I, I love that as a story, partly because he learnt. He said, right, how did it go wrong in North Kelvin yeah. side? We're not going to do that again. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because as we read through these verses of the talking about that there are these multiple different layers of of how they reach the decision. So there's there's the clarity of Simon Peter's teaching and speaking, mm -hmm. apostolic teaching. I'm intrigued by the fact that once again, testimony is part of this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. verse 12, the whole assembly yeah. became silent, listened to Barnabas and Paul telling the signs and wonders. You know, so there's there's an openness to listening to what God is doing. There's um, looking at scripture. So going back to the, the prophets. Mm -hmm. um, and that's J again, that's James speaking. Sorry, I was wanting to come back to James. I'm, I'm intrigued about how James got to be the leader of what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> He brings it together. He's the one that brings in the the passage from the Old Testament, as we know, the Old Testament. You know, he he brings in God's words, um, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. You know that know that they're going to be part. So you've got Peter's um, personal experience, and then you've got these stories of what's going on in the Gentiles. And then he 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 he's just I I would think he's just he's got leadership gifts, and he's yes. got that ability to. This person said this. This person said that. This is what God's saying. This is what we should do. Yes, I mean, and these people who take on that. This is how we that. see it in Scripture. Yeah. So he's yeah. got that teaching, teaching gift, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. There's also a thing about the spectrum. If you if you think on this issue, you've got Paul on the outer extreme, probably, who's saying, who's who's got a very kind of, I don't know, can we use liberated kind of view to? He's got to a very this. clear call to the Gentiles, hasn't he? Very clear call, but but uh -huh. also quite adamant. And yes, he'll. he'll He'll be in very strong language. I mean, at some points he'll say that, you know, the law is, well, he talk about the ab abolition of the law. We no longer uphold the law or so on. At other points he says we keep it. It's quite a complex thing. But he, he's on the vanguard of we're only in Christ. There's nothing else you have to do other than have faith in the Christ. Then you've got Barnabas, who's slightly further in. Then you've got James. And then you've got the false brothers, eh, as he gets called them, or the here the Pharisee sect. And what's interesting, I think, is that James, in some ways, is the kind of traditional conservative voice who n will have the respect of those brothers and he'll be able to take the majority of them, at least, mm. with them. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that you need both these types of figures mm -hmm. in the church. You need the person on the vanguard who's asking the questions and and, and that's Paul. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and Peter, surely. Oh, yeah, and Peter, yeah, in sorry. In this situation. Yeah, yeah, so you've got Peter, yeah. Paul. you probably got Paul, then Barnabas, then Peter, then James, and then the false mm -hmm. brothers. Mm -hmm. um, but you also need the conservative person who's going to hold it together. You need the anchoring person as well mm -hmm. to, to kind of, I guess, win the trust of the people. So so reflecting on what we talked about previously when we were talking about, you know, splits and so on, there, there's mm. a kind of picture of how... Unity and its 
in its best form mm-hmm. is played out, right? Because people's mm-hmm. different giftings and different what they bring to the conversation. Yeah. Is, yeah. and, and maybe it comes back, Neil, to your Bonhoeffer point about, about being in Christ in that. Mm-hmm. So there's not a kind of, well, I want to get my point held or heard or, you know, I want, you know I, I'm right and you're wrong. But it's actually a kind of, well, what in Christ, what is the right way? Yeah. <laughs> How do we see that in scripture? How do we see that in, in what we see God doing in Antioch? How do we see that in, in the experience that Peter's had on the, on the rooftop? Maybe I'm just repeating what we've already said. No, no I, think I think that's think right. That's, I, think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to preempt this. I think this is going to be my takeaway, This that whole idea of of relating to others in Christ, I think. Is well, yeah, yeah. I mean, really Bonhoeffer was unbelievably, can I even say fundamentalist on this? He was like, absolutely not. You do not uh-huh. relate to each other directly. Uh-huh. He was horrified. I mean, he, he goes on for pages at this. It's uh-huh. a short book. Uh-huh. And there's there's A Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it gives you a freedom then to welcome others. Yes. And I, I love the fact that Bonhoeffer, his community was open. So some of his folks, some of his followers, they went off and fought for the German army against the Russians. And then Bonhoeffer himself, of course, got involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. And yet they were connected. They were writing letters to each other all the way through the war. And then I find this very, very moving. For the last few days of his life, Bonhoeffer was in a a wooden-powered, rickety prison van that was only for three people, I think. There were 12 people crammed in the back going all over war-torn Germany uh, Germany for hundreds of miles, Mm. crammed in. And Bonhoeffer spent the majority of his time talking to an atheist called Vasily Kokorin. And they they talked about two things. Uh, Kokorin taught him Russian, and Bonhoeffer taught him the fundamentals of the Christian faith. <laughs> and they did this for 100 miles across Germany in a cramped van of mm-hmm. people going, I don't know what's going to happen to us here. And one of the prisoners who was also in it, a British officer called Payne Best, he said that throughout that whole journey, Bonhoeffer was, quote, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got it this person who's grounded in Christ, and yet, oh, I'm going to spend my whole time talking to this atheist called Kokorin. Yeah. They eventually get to a, a schoolhouse um, which is an abandoned dormitory. And the other prisoners say to Bonhoeffer, could you hold a service to, for us? And Bonhoeffer says, no, because Kikorin's an atheist and I don't want to exclude him. Okay. Mm-hmm. At which point Kikorin says, no, you must go ahead. So they have this service together and a, the Sorry, it was Payne Best. It was another British officer who'd said the thing about him being very happy. Payne Best said, this was the most moving service. It Mm. touched the hearts of us all. And Bonhoeffer prays the final prayer, says Amen. I presume he says Amen at the end of his prayer. And then two Gestapo officers walk in and say, come with us to Mm. Bonhoeffer. And everybody knows what that means. Yeah. And Bonhoeffer turns to the people around him and says, for me, this is the end. This is the beginning of life. Yeah. And he leaves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's what that kind of grounding uh-huh. does yeah. to you. And just yeah. to ask the question, what happened to Kokorin? I don't actually know. Um, I need to look that up. He was related to Molotov, um, the yeah. Soviet ambassador. I, I, I need to find that out. But yeah. isn't it, I mean, I'm, it sounds a bit trite after that, but Bonhoeffer was a beautiful communicator. Mm-hmm. With all the people that he encountered in that story you've told, and and the people mattered, and he said what needed to be said, and he and and in a way it's back to the bit in Acts that this is brilliant communication. They're mm-hmm. they're doing really well and telling each other how they feel, what's bothering them, what their experiences are, and that takes me back to my church experience that we're not very good at that really. We're not very good at saying, this is how I'm feeling, this is how I'm, what I'm worried about, or this is what's bothering me, and doing that in a way that is well-led and we're cared for and listened to, and yet, yet we come to a con- we come to the conclusion that's best and that's God-led. And mm. isn't it just brilliant at the end of this? You know, it says um, everybody, the whole church decided that they came to this place because mm-hmm. of really good communication and seeing how they felt and expressing their opinions. They were able to make a completely unified decision. It's something we long for. I long for that in church. <laughs> mm. So, how, well, well, how do you change that, Jen? I think 
We need to be better friends. That sounds ridiculous. Like, you know, I think friendship really matters in church. I, I read somewhere about research about churches and that what, what was really missing was true friendship, being known, being listened to, being cared for, not just, oh, hello, how were you? I haven't seen you for a week. Uh-huh. Uh, but really giving giving of our lives and back to Bonhoeffer now he just he gave his life completely to that community that you've mm-hmm. described and to anybody else who, was, who he encountered I think there's something about being prepared to have the conversation you know that yeah. who instigates this do Paul and Barnabas oh, they, they get sent by the church in Antioch don't they yep. up mm-hmm. to this yep. so the Antioch folks are saying rather than going who are all these people here they say we need to have a conversation about this so they send Paul and Barnabas up and they have the conversation. In our church once, we had a facilitated conversation. It was about a split that had happened. And it was deeply moving. And it allowed us to know each other better. I don't actually think we resolved the particular thing. But I'll always remember one individual who who we, we had a tree. We had to write down. I can't remember why, but we had to write down our thoughts around a tree. And um, the somebody had written down the word divorce, and I thought they were referring, they were using the word divorce to refer to the split that happened in the, the mm. church. It was before my time, and they were using that as analogy. So it was one of these things where you kind of think you know what someone's saying, but actually it turns out they don't. He said, "No, I want to talk about my actual divorce because mm. I'm divorced, and it's a wound that I live with in my church, but also, but also somehow it's made me me. I mean, I'm." I'm trying to be really careful with this because he wouldn't say it was a good thing that happened, but mm-hmm. it's like one of those pots, you know, that the gold bit, the crack, you know, that because he's been fractured, it, it's given him a perspective. And that's what my memory is of that conversation mm-hmm. is that we went to a new level of connectedness yeah, because we set aside time to, to talk about who we are and what mattered to us. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how that's facilitated really matters. Mm. It's, it's t- when when I worked for Hamilton Presbytery, which is no more, it's a different presbytery now, um, I was working with a congregation with the elders and with the children. So this is an interesting group of people um, to help them have share communion across the generations in a more meaningful way. So one of the first things we did was we had a meeting with just the elders. Then we went on to meet with the children and the elders. But the first meeting was just with the elders. And myself and the minister, we, we just we explored with all the elders what communion meant to them, but what what it could mean now in our current culture. And it's it just as you described, Neil, there was people sharing deeply mm. about what they didn't want to let go, yeah. but what they needed to let go so that they could still celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And one woman said, I remember as a child sitting in the pew and hearing the footsteps of the elders marching down the aisle behind me with the elements to lay on the communion table. And there's a huge part of me, she said, that just wants that momentous, it's a sacred moment as she saw it, to stay. Mm. But I understand, she said, that what matters is that we're remembering Jesus' death for us, and I want to explore what that me- what that'll look mm. like now in our church today, and that was mm. a huge step for her. But it yes. only happened because we'd spent time sharing yes. about what communion meant to us over the years. Yes, yes. And I th- it's it, we. I think we we think we don't have time to have these kind of spaces, mm. but we must. It's yeah. it's a bit like ch- I have a few conversations with people recently whose churches have closed, um, and we've had services, the last service, and it's so important, isn't it? To, to, for them to say goodbye. And it's yes. the same in our churches. If we're changing and developing, working out what we believe and what's right and what's true, that we have that space. And yes. we don't people don't feel I'm just being imposed upon or yes. not listened and it, to. It validates somebody's experience, doesn't it? it, it mm-hmm. Being listened to is really it's really important. Yeah. Really important. And that's all happening here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. you know in the letter that seen. goes back, the communication back. Yeah. To the people who were and you- troubled. And you think about this compromise that comes in, the three things, abstain from food polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality and uh, what's the uh, meat of strangled animals and blood. Yep. We've only kept the middle of those. I say only is quite an important one. Mm-hmm. But um, I reckon some of the kind of, can I use the word hardcore, some of the kind of more people who are a bit more suspicious of Paul, I think they maybe felt listened to 
because mm. that condition was put in, even though it would later be dropped by the church. At least they thought, right, we're not we're not being completely ignored here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's really important. A wee bit at a time. <laughs> so can we move on to talk about that? I, I was about mm. to move on yeah. to talk about that anyway. But why? Why these three yeah. things? That's what I was asking. Wow. Curious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because it started out about circumcision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the anxiety is probably that the, the Jewish Christians see the, the Jewish community as a kind of righteous holdout in a pagan world. And and there's a number of things they can legitimately point to. The big one, idols. And yeah. and what circumcision is, is it's an important gateway point. It says, we've got a boundary, and here's a marker that says whether you're inside or outside yeah. the boundary. Yeah. And we need to police this boundary. Otherwise, what will happen is we know that we will get corrupted, and then God will take his glory away from us because we know that from the Old Testament. Because we're a covenant people. We're a covenant people. Yeah. So if you can hold those three things, then there'll still be a boundary here and we'll feel a measure of relief or that we're still doing our job or we're being who we need to be. And in a bigger sense, is it what Paul will say later on much more eloquently than me, but you know, we're saved by grace, but that doesn't mean that you just do what you want. Mm. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're completely yeah. saved by grace yeah. because of who Jesus is, God's love for us, and what Jesus has done. But we're called to a holy life. We're we're called to be different, mm. and to ha- our bodies are are the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. All that kind of stuff is 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 a, mm. a an indication of that kind of thinking that's going to develop. Because the rules to the, the rules in themselves don't, apart from yeah. the sexual immorality, as you say, don't mean much to. Yes, and and it strikes me just as, as both of you are speaking there that that these these three things they're not they're not markers of whether you're in or out, they're markers of how you practice. Yeah, mm-hmm. aren't they? Mm-hmm. I, so, think so th- I think I think they are. It's about how you perceived to yeah. th- that pagan culture, but it's also about saying these are the things that define us because we choose to live like this. We choose to live holy, and we do that by the grace of God. We do that through the Spirit of God. But but these are sort of outward signs of that whereas circumcision is an outward sign of of that's how whether you're in or out yeah yeah yeah. and it's not you must do this i mean the letter the wee phrase at the end of the letter you will do well to avoid these things but it's not saying you need to do do this and you'll be saved do this and you'll Uh you'll be in Uh a a true follower of jesus Uh you'll do well to avoid these things Uh (laughs) so if i think yeah one in three are boundary markers um, the food idol ones are are they're they're like circumcision. I think the sexual immorality is more about the internal codes of behaviour, which are about holiness. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, yes. Although I think I think we take idolatry lightly at our peril, and so I, I wonder th- if our yeah. our sexual conduct and our our view towards idolatry mm-hmm. these are these things are quite closely linked. Yeah, because they come. I, to yeah. the, what we put first in our lives, don't they? Mm. Yeah. Okay, so we're maybe saying three is definitely a boundary marker, so that's the blood thing. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean by boundary marker, though? Sorry. So in anthropology, I, I was, yes. what they talk about is, um, there's different accounts of this, but an ethnic group, or an ethnos as it's called, is, you can think of it as a ring with gaps in it. Right, so, yes, but I wasn't saying those things were boundary markers. That that was my point. Oh, no, you were comparing, I thought you were comparing what, my, them to circumcision. Was, no, my point was that circumcision is a boundary marker. These are markers of how we are we are practicing. Sorry, so I am saying I'm so I suppose I'm slightly disagreeing with you. I'm saying mm-hmm. that the third one is a boundary marker, the one about okay. blood and so on. Okay. So yeah. so explain that. So it, it's about a symbolic recognition of who's in and out, you know, having blood or not. It it's not a moral practice. It's it's a it's a symbol of I am adhering to certain parts of the Jewish law here. Okay, but they're but in the letter they're not saying that it's a boundary marker. They're saying it's just you will do well to avoid these yeah. things. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking of Jehovah's Witnesses who mm. some I'm not speaking as an expert on Jehovah's Witnesses, but their beliefs around blood and not having blood transfusions and not consuming blood is it, does it come partly from this? That's mm. another question I had. I, mm-hmm. My understanding is it comes from the 
the statement in the Old Testament that life is in the blood. But mm. this provision here, I think, would be grounded in that understanding. The reason that they don't want blood here is because they, at least some people understand that the life is in the blood. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would like to go away and do a bit more thinking about that because I still think there's something in what I've said. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> I was nothing in what you'd say. No, 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 I know, but I'm not sure that I've really understood fully your argument, but I'm going to need to go away and actually think about it rather than talk it out here because I'm kind of conscious of our, our time on, on this. Uh, so they, they reach this agreement, they send this letter. Uh, the mm -hmm. letter is sent with not just, you know, the courier, <laughs> but it's sent with Paul and Silas. Paul and Barnabas go back and they choose Judas called Barsabbas yeah. and Silas. So people who are of standing. Um, to go and, I suppose, explain the letter, to make sense mm -hmm. of what's going on, maybe to give a bit of the, the history so it's not just the, the cold, hard letter that arrives. Um, so, again, I think it's it's speaking into what we've talked about, isn't it, in terms of... And read it in a certain way. We yes. all know about emails. Mm -hmm. when you, I do this yes. often with emails. I put a tone onto the person's yeah. voice yeah. and I've misread it because yes. that isn't the tone. So if you take it and read it, it's quite different. Yeah, yeah. And this is such high stakes that you don't want to risk kind of mm -hmm. misinterpretation going on. You, yep. you need people. But it's also... High stakes, but not strangled stakes, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we want to say well, on... on the, yes, you've got more to say. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just that somebody I spoke to this week called Lydia, who's a pastor in California, and she's in a growing intergenerational church. And I asked her, how do you do it? What, what, what's important? And she said, well... You've got to have a really good newsletter. <laughs> and I was a bit disappointed. I wanted to say something a bit more, I don't know, obviously theological, but she's right. 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 21st century. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. So communication, I think we've all agreed, is a, Put a lot of effort into it. important thing. Yeah. And this was an important an important marker in terms of, of how we view what it means. That, that, not that a boundary great conversation marker. is absolutely not a boundary marker, Neil. Um, but a, a marker of, of the importance of grace. That's going to be the... the, the um, defining characteristic isn't it so then then there's this little passage about the disagreement between paul and barnabas so Whoa. they're setting off again and they're going to go back to revisit some of those towns that they've been to before see the believers preach the word and see how they're doing um and barnabas wants to take john mark along with them paul doesn't think so what do we make of this is it is it wrong that they argue is it good that they argue <laughs> is it good that luke has told us about the argument it's good Should we have hushed us. it up and yeah, pretended everything was fine? Yeah, thank goodness, Luke, because you do keep it quiet at times. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go and find it out from Galatians. I, I'll, I like, I'll, yeah. I like um, Luke. He's like one of these people who keeps the minutes of the meeting and just keeps all the controversy out. That's not that's not fair. He, t he tells a lot more than that. But there's there's definitely things in Galatians we don't hear about. In, in but he that. includes it here. He does include it He does it include here. it here. Yeah. 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 And he that's does. important because this, well, this whole thing we've read is, you know, it's, is part of the life of the church. Yeah. Is is having disagreements and having to sort it out and work it out rather than dodge it or avoid it or well let's not talk about that. And Barnabas is being truly Barnabas, isn't he? Yeah. You know what we've known about Barnabas, all the mm -hmm. things we said about him last time. He 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 will always he, he wants to go for the do the best, do the right thing, be most encouraging and he's happy to support John Mark, but obviously Paul's just had enough. But then mm -hmm. from the division comes more growth because yes. we've got two teams now. Yeah. Um, and that's not saying, oh, it's right that we had the division and we've now got two teams, but God God works it out, doesn't he? That yeah. In in the mess of life. Yeah. And we, talked, and we talked about Mark last time, didn't we? The, that um, he was... Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't necessarily called and sent out in the same mm. way that that the other yeah. two had been, and so maybe that had been part of the reason he hadn't stuck it tight. But he does have a job to do because we're assuming he writes Mark's gospel. It, yeah, that just let's just assumption? say that it's a better story that? that way, isn't it? Okay, yeah. okay. So he's got a job to do in writing a book. He's going to write a concise uh -huh. Bible. Uh -huh. And Barnabas takes him to Cyprus, which is obviously his home Hometown. island. And yeah, like you say, Jen, there's this there's this um, two teams on the go. Uh, and then finally, we're going to just jump into the beginning of chapter 16. Yeah, and there's this, uh, yeah, controversy about Timothy. Yeah. Well, well, we say controversy. Basically, they encounter Timothy. Mother was Jewish, father was Greek, and they circumcise him. I know. It's a bit disappointing, isn't it, really? <laughs> After all that. 
what is going on here? <laughs> we, we think it's because of his mum, don't we? I think it's because of his mum, yeah. yeah. And had both his parents been Greeks, he would have been left alone. Yes. Um, Titus and had, and had both of his parents been Jews, most likely he would have been circumcised as a baby. Yeah. So that it's a mixed marriage, and so therefore there's a... And there's, it's interesting, yeah. it says, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So mm-hmm. he's a, there's something suspect in these sorts of things. We're talking about boundary markers again. People always get suspicious of the people who who blur the boundary. So people like to have nice and closed boundaries. But if you have someone who's half Jewish, half Greek, mm. that's kind of disconcerting for people. So you have to do something to kind of prove to folk that he's I don't know, legit or something. So let's yeah. circumcise him and then he's back in. We've got our boundaries. Now let's go and tell you the gospel. Because yes. otherwise... Is there some, yeah, something about, no, you, you want to minimise distractions, don't mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. from uh-huh. people hearing the gospel. I mean, uh-huh. it, it's That's... not quite the same, but I mean, I remember at a time in there's certain churches you would go to. I don't think it really matters so much now, but I knew that what, you know that what you wear uh-huh. Is really uh-huh. important. So yeah. for some people, and if I if I wear if I just go in my jeans and my t shirt because that's what I want to wear, yeah. then all they'll be thinking about is why is she wearing that, and yeah. they won't listen, and they won't be part yes. of the sharing of the gospel. And that that is much more minimal having to get circumcised, but it it feels a bit like that. This is uh, quite a commitment from Timothy, isn't yeah. it, to cross cultural <laughs> yeah. mission? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Timothy is going to be somebody that we will encounter again. So he becomes yeah. a, a main part player at this, at this point and comes around, um, as does Silas, in fact. Yeah. So Final question before we finish, which is what happened to verse 34? Oh. Well, if you read Love, Death and Resurrection, it's not even referred to as not being there. Well, so, you know. yes, there is no verse 34 if you're reading with a, a, a verse uh, <laughs> marked Bible. Um, and I think that's to do, I read about this, it's, it's to do with Silas and about where Silas was at any given point. And it gets a bit confusing because he, he goes out with Paul from Antioch, but did he go back to Jerusalem? So it's at some point been lifted out and the verse number has never been replaced or it's never been. Mm-hmm. There's a few of those, isn't there? A few jumpy verses. It, there's two There's there's two very strong manuscripts of Acts and it's one of, it's, it's quite unique in the New Testament. They've, they've got, an, I think it's an Eastern ver- version and a Western version, and that's why you you often have to to choose between the yes. two. Yes, and this is the Western version where it's taken out. Is it? Is it the Western yep. one? Yep. I read that yesterday. <laughs> Feeling very smug. <laughs> My knowledge on that. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for um, having such an interesting conversation. I've already said that my takeaway, I think, is... Um, Oh, I forgot. What, oh, yeah, being in Christ. It was the Bonhoeffer thing. Uh, and really that encouragement to, to take that into into all my relationships, actually, within uh Christian family. Uh, what about you two? Any takeaways? I, I think the importance of leadership and decision making and creating space for conversation. Mm. I think the latter one probably most because it's life is so busy and full, isn't it? You just like, oh, we're just going to do this and this is what we're going to do. Right. Let's, let's just go on and do it. But taking the time to make space for people to express how they're feeling and their yeah. disagreements. And and that's not, I don't say that lightly as a takeaway. I'd not, rather avoid it really. Mm-hmm. But um, it's part of leadership and creating the good spaces for conversation. Yep. I, think, I think the conversation that would be interesting to have on the back of that as well is how you respond in a situation where you don't feel you are being heard. Because, mm. yeah, mm. I, I would say I was in part of a conversation yesterday where I thought, I, I, my takeaway, I felt, why do I feel disconnected and a bit mm. discombobulated actually it's because I felt I was in a situation that I wasn't really fully being mm. yeah. listened to interesting Neil what's your takeaway sympathy for James I think warmer towards him sometimes a wee bit kind of a bit wary of him because I think he gives Paul a hard time and I'm, I'm pretty much team Paul but yeah <laughs> no like him there <laughs> we always miss out the bits that we round about that, that always says that they're encouraged by the stories do you mm. know I yeah, we yeah, could, we could, yeah. We 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 miss the sort of context sometimes if we don't if we don't see mm. that too. Brilliant. Well, thank you very both very much, Jen. You have already teased your what's the Jen? <laughs> Jen, what's the Jen? What's the Jen? Trying to keep up with reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the Gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the Gen? your guide to current thinking. I'm in the middle of writing Christmas resources for churches to download. Um, they'll be completely free from our website. They're for Advent and Christmas season. There'll be five events, uh, all from Luke's Gospel. 
starting with Zechariah and his angel encounter, then Mary and her angel encounter, and then Zechariah's song, and then the Christmas narrative, and then Anna and Simeon in the temple. And there'll be intergenerational stuff, there'll be children's group stuff, there'll be youth group stuff for you to use over the whole of December and wherever you want to use it. I'm imagining church services on a Sunday morning, but of course it doesn't have to be that. So watch out for them coming soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Well, next time we are going to be on Acts chapter 16, uh, picking up from where we just left off at verse 6, uh, reading through to 17 verse 15. Um, so if you're reading ahead with us, that is the, uh, that's the verses you want to look up in advance of that. Uh, thank you both very much. Don't forget, folks, to check out Bibles for Bairns, uh, check out those Christmas resources, keep an eye peeled for that. And uh, we look forward to speaking next time. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.